I'm Jolie, your branding badass, and welcome to my new podcast, Branding Matters. My guest today is Chip Walker, the head of strategy and a partner at Strawberry Frog. Chip is recognized for his expertise in brand creation and reinvention, and he has led the charge in transforming brands such as Goldman Sachs, Lexus, Bank of America, Jim Bean, and Heineken, just to name a few. He's a frequent speaker at some of the branding world's major events, including the Cannes Lion Festival and the Advertising Research Foundation, and his writing and opinions have appeared widely in places like Adweek, the New York Times, and the Chicago Tribune. I invited Chip to be on my guest on my show to talk about his brand new book called Activate Brand Purpose that he co-wrote with Scott Goodson, who, as you may or may not know, happens to be my brother. I'm super excited to have Chip here today to discuss what it means to activate purpose and why it is so important, especially today, to the success of a brand. Chip, welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been uh, looking forward to it. Oh, well, I have to. I just want to say, I know that you have been on the podcast circuit lately. Every time I turn around, I, I, I see another podcast and a lot of times you're there with Scott. So I feel very honored and privileged that I get you all to myself today, which is great. Well, thank you. Especially for the fact that some people know that Scott happens to be my brother, and he was actually my first guest. I don't know if you know that. When no, I, dec- I didn't know that. Yeah. When I decided to launch, I reached out to him and told him about it, and I said, this is what I'm thinking of doing, and he said, that sounds great, and... Anyway, he was my first guest, so he felt he didn't want to take up the spotlight again. He wanted to give it all to you, so I'm really happy that you're here. And like I said, especially because I know you have been on the podcast circuit, so uh, thank you for taking the time to come with me today. Well, good. I and, hope I have I have some of the answers down now, that, now that I've been doing uh, so many podcasts. So uh, finger, <laughs> fingers crossed. We will see, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that. With that said, I hope I have my questions are a little bit different. I, I don't want you to be on autopilot. So I might throw in a few out of left field just to make sure you're on your toes and you're actually paying attention. So, okay. Which is kind All of right. Funny. That's fair. Um, well, you're here today to talk about your incredible book called Activate Brand Purpose. I have it. I read it. Right. I think it's amazing. So tell me about Brand Purpose purpose. I mean, can you give me your definition of what brand purpose is? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty simple. I think, uh, I, I mean, it's a, a brand's higher order reason for existing. It's uh, <clears throat> the brand's reason for being. It's what motivates employees to get up and go to work every day. It's kind of the higher order difference that the company wants to make sort of in life and and probably also in the world. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Because I talk to people a lot about brand purpose and they say <laughs> the same thing. And then when they try to describe it, I don't think they really really get it. So I wanted you to just dig a little bit deeper, if you don't mind, about when you say about what gets you up in the world. Can you give us an example of that? Sure, sure. So uh, Verizon's a good example. It's a client that we work with uh, sometimes. So, you know, they had been a traditional telecom company, moved from the old landline into the mobile phone. And here in the USA, they were almost like a, a public utility. And they sort of existed to you know, either give you telephone service or maybe to help you communicate a little better, which is good and important. But, um, you know, they were becoming a, a, a company that's moving into 5G and broadband and we're starting to compete with the likes of Google and other major players in the world. One of our former clients, Hans Vesterberg, came in and um, became the new CEO a couple of years ago. And he led an initiative to develop a higher purpose for the company. I don't think he thought they were thinking big enough. So their new purpose, and I may not 
not get every word right, but it's something to the effect of we build the networks that move the world forward. So you can see a difference between getting up as somebody who climbs a telephone pole or works on a network to say, oh, I'm building the networks that move the world forward. That's a very different proposition than saying, okay, I'm helping give people telephone service. They're all doing the same thing, but their perspective on it is very different. And one is much more motivating than the other. So that's a, that's kind of how purpose works. Mm-hmm. I love that. that. Sense? I know. Yeah, absolutely. You refer in your book to Simon Sinesky and he talks about the why behind it, right? And I think yes. is that sort of the gist of it is really getting to the why of, you know, uh, I think of a good example, Elon Musk, for example, right? I mean, when you talk about, you know, he, he his, his why wasn't to build electric cars. His why was to make the planet a better place. Right. And, Right. And how we did that was fast. So that's sort of the just definition of purpose, I that, guess. That, yeah, that's exactly right. Right. I mean, yeah. uh, if you didn't know, think that his purpose was around building a different kind of luxury car. But I think their purpose is something about advancing the planet's move to a more sustainable future, or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it isn't really about cars. I mean, his dreams are, big, you know, cars are one thing, but I yeah. think he thinks even bigger than that, which I think purpose can allow you to do. It can get you kind of out of the mundane nature of your product category. And getting you thinking not only bigger than your current industry, but but you know, as we've both been saying, like like how can we do something constructive for everybody, not just for our bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so topical right now. I mean, you hear people talking about it all the time. You know, another thing you talk about in the book is movement thinking mindset. So how does that mm-hmm. relate to brand purpose? Purpose can be a bit lofty and a bit sometimes hard for people to totally get. It, especially if it sounds really inspiring, it may um, have a ring to it, but do you really know what to do with it? And so that, that's a problem that Scott and I have encountered over and over again from clients during the past couple of years, is that, you know, we've developed purpose. We read Simon Sinek's book and we've asked why we exist. And so we have this neat statement uh, and it's, we've got it on a coffee mug and on a t-shirt and it's in the about section of our website, but they come to us and say, but that was nine months ago and we still don't really know what to do with it. That's That's where movement thinking comes in. So one of the ways we describe it is that uh, purpose is so hard to activate because you can't really join a purpose, but you can join a movement inspired by a purpose. So movement is, in our in our view, the uh, the best way to go about reframing your purpose in a way that's easy for people to understand and easy to activate. So movement thinking uses the principles of successful societal movements like Me Too or Black Lives Matter or the uh, women's equality movement or any of a number of successful movements. Traditionally, when we thought about a company's position or brand, you know, brand positioning used to start with kind of a benefit or a unique selling proposition. Movement thinking usually starts with a grievance. All movements start with a grievance. So there's a dissatisfaction that the movement sponsor and the people who participate in the movement agree is a problem. There's a change that we all want to see in the world, a wrong that needs to be made right. And there's sort of an enemy standing in the way of bringing about that change. And so the goal of a movement is to take a stand that makes that change possible. And I'll give you an example. Uh, SunTrust Bank, they had a purpose that was called lighting the way to financial well-being when they came to us, which sounds great. It sounds like a good idea. But again, there was the problem, I think, with employees in particular 
of, uh, okay, but what do I now do? Do I hold a light for people or (laughs) what what do I do, right? Yeah. Um, So we kind of, and this was right after the Great Recession that we were talking with them, where the majority of Americans still had not recovered even two or three or four years after the the worst of the Great Recession. And we started to realize that there was a big problem for most Americans. Everyone was feeling very, very financially uneasy and financially stressed. So one of the things that we did to, to sort of reframe their purpose in movement terms is that the dissatisfaction in the world was that, you know, it, it shouldn't be that most Americans have trouble putting together $400 in case of an emergency, which, which you know, was the case at the time. And uh, so we sort of started this movement that was sort of against this rampant financial stress and for financial confidence. Can we be a company that enables every American to be financially confident? So that was the movement. We called it Onwards and Upwards. But all of a sudden, when you told employees, okay, yes, it's about lighting away the financial being, but the way well-being, but the way we're going to do it is by doing all the things that help make people financially confident. Well, all of a sudden you start to say, well, what do you do? Well, we need to educate people. We need products and services that don't make them feel afraid or insecure, but actually boost their financial confidence. It starts to how you train people, the way that you hire people. So that's just an example of reframing a purpose in movement terms, having an a for and an against that are relevant to folks that both the employees and your audience can agree on. And it makes it uh, just easier to execute on. I think that's a big thing when you when you mentioned earlier about when the employees go, well, what does that mean? I think first you have to get the buy-in from the employees, right? And make sure they understand what's going on because they're your brand ambassadors, I guess you could say, for lack of a better yes. word. And they, you know, if they're inspired by it, then it's only going to overflow into the, your customers and then they're going to be inspired. Exactly. Absolutely. I can see how it has to start internally first. That makes sense. So you talk about a purpose economy and you mentioned about grievances and how that usually is something where a brand, how to activate a brand against grievances. And I mentioned purpose economy because again, I think today we're probably living in a huge purpose economy. I mean, I think around every corner yes. you're learning about a new purpose. Can you elaborate a bit more on what a purpose economy is? Well, the way we think about it in the most macro terms is that basically Milton Friedman was wrong. Uh, so you, you may uh, know Milton Friedman, the famous uh, University of Chicago, I think, economist who said, I think it was the 80s, he made the declaration that the sole purpose of a corporation was to maximize shareholder value. So basically, he's saying, look, you need to make a profit for your shareholders. That is why business is here. If you're not doing that, you are not doing your job. And uh, I think what's happened is uh, in the uh, intervening years, uh, everyone bought into that for years. And that's the way that corporations made decisions was to you know, have a higher stock price, that kind of thing. And I think there's been a realization that that is actually wrong that that is not working. The Business Roundtable, which uh, I don't know if you've heard of, but it's a a large association of, I think, about 180 so CEOs of major corporations from around the world. I think it's currently chaired by Doug McMillan, the the CEO of Walmart. Anyway, they issued a proclamation, I think a little over a year ago, basically saying what I just said, that it's not about shareholder value. It's got to be about stakeholder value. It's about all of our constituencies, employees, communities, consumers, uh, the environment. It's about all these things. It can't just be about stakeholders. 
And I think the reason that they've started to realize that is uh, twofold. Number one, if all of your um, consumers are dead because uh, you've polluted the environment so bad, <laughs> it's not good for your business. <laughs> if there are no consumers, then there's no one spending money. Right, yeah. exactly. I mean, if you don't pay any income tax as a corporation and the roads uh, are undrivable, well, then th that's not going to work either. Your employees can't get to work. Your trucks can't go anywhere. So um, it seems like common sense on the face of it, but it's taken a long time for, for business to come around. So that's one aspect of the purpose economy. I think the other one is just that there's been a growing realization, both among business leaders and among the general public, that our problems are so big and some people view government uh, as, as so inept that business has got to play a role. If business doesn't play a role, that we're probably all sunk. And I think the pandemic kind of reinforced this, is at least in the United States. Now, I know you're, you're in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. So I think things were probably a little better there, but here that was really reinforced too, because the, re the response to the pandemic here initially was abysmal. And um, it took, you know, finally, you know, some, some companies to step in, and it's particularly the pharma companies, to try to get to a solution. So I think a lot of people feel like not only is business like, obligated to do it, they have the ability to help and, and that they should. And that they should. Anyway, I interrupted yeah. you. What were you going to say? Yeah, no, no, no. I was actually going to say, you know, you said you were talking about the government. And I try to keep politics out of it, but I'll just say that I'm in Alberta right now. And while I heard from my brother the other night that he was out at a place and you guys were all out with no masks, socializing, we are all in quarantine here still and everything oh. is shut down. So <laughs> I think, you, yeah, you're in a much better position right now. We're not in a good place. Alberta, actually, where I am, which is Calgary, has the highest per capita rate right now of COVID in oh North America. Gosh. Yeah. I'm so, sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we're kind of going off topic, but I mean, you're you're in a much better place right now, especially as far as health goes anyway. So, well, it took um, a while. And as I said, mm -hmm. I think if it wasn't for the vaccines that were developed so quickly, uh, we would not be in, in a very good place here. I know. You were know? you part of that dinner with him, by the way? Or am I? I was. Oh, I were was. you okay? <laughs> <laughs> I got the Uber call about that really fun night. It sounds like you guys had a great time. I mean, after being in quarantine for so long, it must have been so nice to get out and hug each other. And, so. and maybe drink a little wine too. And Maybe yeah. just a little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's great. But anyway, so brands obviously have a lot more responsibility now. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, especially on my podcast lately, and we talk a lot about brand and brand purpose. And there seems to be this greenwashing going on where there's a lot of brands out there, and I don't want to call them imposters, but they're saying what their brand purpose is. But how do you know who's bullshitting and who is really putting their money where their mouth is? Because everybody seems to be saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, 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 we sort of refer to it. A lot of people call it like purpose washing, purpose washing um, where yeah. Uh, yeah, sort of like a relative of greenwashing where you say some high minded goal, but um, do you really mean it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's pretty clear. And we've done research that show that consumers feel like they have a pretty good BS meter and that it's pretty easy to know who's telling the truth and who's not because you, you look and see what they do. Does it match? Um, and I think there are probably a couple of issues consumers sort of call companies on in terms of does it match? One is, is it connected to what the company does in some way? For example, um, I love this example. I always give it. I, I probably should stop picking on them. But um, <laughs> it's about a year, year and a half ago, uh, Planters, the peanut company, came out with a product called Nutrition, which was, I guess, a more nutritious nut product. And they were advertising it. And they came out with a higher purpose 
And it was all about helping women achieve pay equality, which, you know, is, is a, that's a good thing. Who, I mean, who would not want women to have equal pay? The only issue is like, like, what in the hell did that have to do with nuts? Why are, why are they telling me this? Yeah. So that's when it's a head scratcher like that. And they finally, after being criticized, they came out and they said it was because not paying women equally is nuts. But uh, nobody really bought that. Oh. So. <laughs> That's far fetched. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's it. So, so having the connection, so, right? Sorry, right. So, so having a connection, but it's it's surprisingly prevalent. How how often people do that? You know, Pepsi got into bad trouble because it did that ad with Kendall Jenner oh, uh, yeah. that was sort of implying that it was about like race relations or something. And again, they've never talked about that before. It'd be different yeah. if it was Nike, you know. But yeah. they, they've never. So if it's a head scratcher, why are they doing this? The other one is just when it just seems like it's a call for attention. Or it's, you know, just, just, you know, you're on this bandwagon hoping, you know, in a desperate cry because you don't have anything else to talk about. And I think a good example of that, at least in my mind, was what Gillette did a couple of years ago with they were starting to be suddenly out of, out of the blue about toxic masculinity. And I just think it people had a hard time believing it. Oh, they yeah. always, I think that backfired. It's been like the man can get. It did. Yeah. It just felt like, OK, uh, here's a company that is desperate because they're getting their lunch eaten by Dollar Shave Club. And others. And so, you know, desperate companies will say anything. So I guess that must be what they're doing. You're right. Purpose washing, huge issue happens a lot more than it should. I see that a lot. I have one for you that's more recent. Have you yeah. seen the Oreo commercial that was all over a couple of months ago? It was an Oreo com- campaign. And, and I find it interesting because I got sucked into it at first, too, because it's right. it was actually about the it was a campaign basically celebrating LBGTQ community. And right. it was an ad with a father and the daughter comes home with her girlfriend. And it's, this, you know, it was like a film and it was beautiful. And it tugs at your heartstrings. And, you know, I have a sister and a son who's part of that community. So I really, it really connected with me. And then I started watching it again and it's like what does Oreo cookie who never talked about that all of a sudden now where's that connection and then I started reading more about it and I thought oh are they just trying to tug at my are they what they did was that really their purpose so when I talk about their purpose that's what I was getting at is their purpose to just get to me emotionally or is their purpose bigger than that yeah well I mean that that's a good example and you know listen in some ways I mean you hate to criticize companies that I think are trying to do something good but as people like you and me I think that that advise companies I I just think that they've got to keep in mind if there's not a clear connection Consider, uh, consumers can may consider it BS. Yeah, definitely. This episode of Branding Matters is brought to you by Gems for Gems. Gems for Gems is a proactive charity focused on ending the cycle of domestic abuse. They do this by creating viable and sustainable paths forward for survivors. With a concentration on empowerment and economic recovery, Gems for Gems works hand-in-hand with the community to help survivors thrive. What can you do to help? Well, if you have any used jewelry lying around that you no longer wear, and let's be honest, we all have some of that, you can donate it to their jewelry drive. If you have any spare time and you want to find a way to give back, this is a great opportunity and you can join their ambassador program. I personally am a part of this ambassador program because I am all about empowering women and this is a great opportunity to do just that. 
And then finally, if you'd like to contribute financially, you can become a donor to their incredible scholarship program. Whichever way you decide to help, just know that you are making a huge difference and your contribution is meaningful and greatly appreciated. To learn more about Gems for Gems, you can visit their website at gemsforgems.com. You can also find them on Facebook under Gems for Gems and on Instagram under Gems for Gems Canada. And you can always reach out to me on any social media platform under Branding Badass. And now, back to our show. So what sets purpose-driven companies apart? Well, I think that's the, the big thing is what we've been talking about. It's really activation and activation in a credible, genuine way. That seems to be the holy grail. And frankly, it was the reason that we wrote our book. Doing it, not only activating it well, but doing it in a way that's visible and authentic. It's rarer than you than you might think. We did a, a large-scale study in the United States of consumers asking them which brands of 200 that we uh, asked them about that they saw as being super purpose-driven. And there were only a handful that really actually met the mark. So that's just more fodder to say that activating it and activating it genuinely is the key. What are some tools a brand can use to activate brand purpose? The big one is probably what I talked about before, which is kind of movement thinking. Reframing your purpose in movement terms and making it more uh, actionable, sort of the way that we talked about with, with SunTrust. I feel like that's the number one thing. Smart car is a good example. The campaign's called Against Dumb, and it's been around for a while. So it's not a brand new example, but it's just usually one that's easy to get. Dissatisfaction that we focused on with smart car, you know, which, which is small and environmentally friendly and it uh, saves, it's cheaper, it uh, uses less gas. You know, we could have marketed smart car on, you know, efficiency, you know, save money, easier life with parking. But we just didn't think that that was going to be very emotionally motivating. So um, what we decided to focus on was the, the fact that a lot of the urbanites that we wanted to sell these cars to really felt that there was too much overconsumption and waste in the world, that there were all these big, unnecessary SUVs around, not needed, giant pickup trucks that no one needs, especially in the city. And they're just kind of destroying the urban landscape. And the change we wanted to see in the world was really to kind of maybe help restore the urban landscape to a more kind of pristine state. So we sort of set up this enemy of like stupidly over-consuming. Like that's what this brand against. Smart was going to be against it. Stupidly over-consuming, uh, which we called to dumb. The stand that they were going to take was for a more conscious consuming when it comes to automotive, which we deemed smart. So the campaign ended up being called Against Dumb. And it was so, so, so much more emotionally engaging with, our, with the audience than if you'd said, okay, save money on fuel efficiency. So it's just another example of if you want your purpose to be actionable, reframe it in movement terms. And all of a sudden you'll start to see oh, wow, I can see what to do with it now. And that's a brilliant campaign I love, and it's a great video. But you talk about in the book about the purpose gap. Can you elaborate on what that is? Yeah, we sort of describe it as the distance over time and down through the organization between a purpose kind of being announced and its continued sort of use and understanding at the kind of the bottom of the organization several months later. So what usually happens is, you know, usually a purpose is announced from the top and there's all kinds of, you know, materials and meetings and everyone's excited and there's applause and maybe a a global video, all these things. And the purpose gap is the gap between that enthusiasm and engagement, particularly at the top of the organization, and what are people actually doing with it several months later? often 12 to 18 months later. And often what you'll see as the curve sort of like it goes, it's like up and then it's either 
like slowly down or it goes way down over time. And so that's the kind of gap that we want to avoid between that initial enthusiasm and, and what happens later. So we find measuring these sorts of things within companies can help you sort of uh, ward against um, that gap. So what are some techniques you can do to ward against the gap? Yeah, there are all kinds. Um, and there's some, I think there's some principles that are important. One is that a top-down mandate alone, we found is just, it's not going to work. You can't just come in and say, you're the CEO or people in the C-suite and you've said, okay, we have a new purpose. Here it is. Boom, go do it. That's an order. Not only do people often not know then what to do, but they kind of resent it, it, it you know, the, and you end up having uh, naysayers and people saying, really, or is this just the idea du jour? So that's one important principle. The other one, though, is that it's got to be, we think, a holistic approach. So we say it's got to be top. It does have to be top down because it has to come from the top. It's got to have the buy-in of people at the bottom. And then we also say middle out. So all the research seems to indicate that the secret ingredient to a fully activated purpose is, you know, it's top and bottom engagement, but the glue between those two is middle management. And there's a really important study done. It was in Harvard Business Review uh, of the most financially successful purpose-driven companies. And what they found was that uh, the, the difference was that middle management was really, really engaged. And so they can kind of bridge that gap between people at the top, people at the bottom. They're, they're sort of the conduit. So those are two, two of the, I think, most important things to, to make sure you don't have a purpose gap. Okay, that's interesting. What are some strategies to get the buy-in from the whole company? Like, is there ever, what about if you get, let's say, the buy-in from the people at the top? Are there strategies that companies can use? Uh, to get middle management in particular to buy in? Yeah, like you're saying that's most important. And then right. what would be the strategy to make sure that they're the ones, if they're your focus? I don't think it's super, super difficult. I think it's often just a matter of, of paying attention. Yeah. As I said, too often it's the mandate of like uh, busy senior leaders saying, okay, we hired a purpose consultant. Here's the purpose. Middle management, go figure this out. That's not going to work. I think what it takes is commitment from senior leadership across disciplines, CEO, CFO, CHRO, CMO, to get their people on board with the example of Verizon we build the networks that move the world forward. They turned it into a movement called Forward Together. And it was uh, it's really inspiring to read about if you ever Google mm -hmm. it. But senior management really did all kinds of stuff from communications to engagement initiatives to programs that got middle management and the next two or three layers down really excited. And, uh, you know, they spent the time, spent the, the resources and the money to, you know, spend, I think, really several months getting those folks engaged and, and doing things and programs that that made them understand the purpose and what to do with it and kind of gave them training and materials to get their people on board. So I don't think it's like a giant mystery how you get uh, middle management involved. It's the things you would do to get them involved in almost anything. The problem is, it's just that often when it comes to purpose, people don't think that to do it. They think, you know, it's often that announcing it is enough. Right. I see. And it's really about inspiring them, right? Going back yeah. to what we talked about initially. It's Galvanizing really about them. Right. Yeah. Hopefully the way you've developed the 
purpose that when they see it, they're like, okay, I can see that that's a really good idea. That makes sense. Have you ever had a customer come to you and how do I, I've got this idea and I think we need to really activate our brand purpose and how do I make sure that I get everybody excited about it? And because I think, isn't there a way to sort of announce it to the company versus just sending an email and saying, okay, now we're doing this. I mean, I would think it's a whole internal process. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we do entire communication strategies. And it's often really tricky internally, Mm -hmm. because internal employee communications, employees are notorious to ignore them. Especially nowadays with what's going on, there's a new email every day. How do you do that in a way that is going to break through the clutter and make sure that they really are inspired? Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, it's really hard. (laughs) I mean, you know, there, there are obviously high impact channels you can use, like your all employee, all hands, video, live address from your CEO. That, that's obviously, but you can't do that all the time. And often repetition is important. But I can give you a couple of examples where there were big challenges and we did a couple of different things. Uh, Walmart is a good example where we were trying to seed an internal movement around sort of health and well-being. They have a million and a half employees, many of whom are out on the store floor all the time. And you know they don't check their company email all the time. And there were just limited ways to reach them. Some of them didn't have access to a lot of digital tools or uh, that kind of thing. And so what we ended up doing was a lot of, uh, we did a bunch of like qualitative and focus groups with their with their employees around the world and really thought hard about how to reach them. And one of the things that became clear was that video was much more effective than putting a poster up in the break room, sending them an email. And we, we didn't really have the option of even sending them a text. And so we ended up making really engaging videos, uh, some of which were funny and humorous and, and whatnot. And uh, we ended up putting them on the country company intranet where people go to do things like check their schedule or look at their pay stub. I mean, places people actually went, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> and great. And we found, we found it was massively effective. Oh, yeah. The other thing that we did with them was experimented with actually using low-cost paid media to reach associates. So we uh, geofenced some of their stores. And I don't know if you might know about geofencing, but you basically can send communications to the mobile phones around a very small geographic area. So just to, right around their stores. And we knew that people who came and went to the store every day, the same mobile number, that that was an employee. So we were able to actually send them communication on their phone, like these videos, um, mm-hmm. and actually reach them that way as well. So there are, a lot, there are more and more innovative ways to reach employees these days than just like a newsletter or an email. Okay. Yeah, that's where I was going with it. So thank you for clarifying. Those are great ideas. Advertising internally, right? I mean, versus going externally. Well, thank you. I appreciate you elaborating on that. So how can brands avoid common missteps along their purpose journey? Asking why is not enough. That was one of the secondary uh, ideas we had for the title of our book was like uh, asking Asking why why is not not enough. Yeah. um, but um, Well, we liked it. Our our publisher wanted something I think that was a little bit more uh, SEO friendly. So that's why it's called Activate Brand Purpose. But anyway, so that's an important one, knowing that it's not enough. Sometimes the purpose is that I call it the wrong altitude. And by that, I mean, a company will come in and say, our purpose is to always be better than our competitor, or our purpose is to provide the greatest value every day to our Hmm. customers. Should you be doing those things? 
Absolutely. But it is not your higher purpose. Oh, I'm so glad right? you said that because I get that all the time when I talk to clients. Right. Exactly. I think sometimes they get a little taken aback because they they think that we're saying don't do that. And I'm not saying don't do that. You absolutely should do right by your customers and hopefully be better than your competition. But higher purpose operates at a level above that. Oh, I love so I that think- you just said that because that is, yeah, that's a great example. So who is your favorite purpose brand and why? You mentioned, I think you mentioned Tesla earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, definitely. I talked about Elon Musk and um, why. So Yeah, because I worked in a lot in luxury cars and they disrupted the category several years ago and transformed it. And it's funny because everybody working in luxury cars when they first came out were really just waiting for them to fail, saying they just don't get it. This is going to be funny. Wait till they fall on their face because they broke all the rules. I think what Tesla did is that they kind of changed the reason you want to buy a high-end car, which is really hard to do. Before, it was either about performance or status. You either bought like a BMW for performance or a Mercedes for status. Those were big drivers in the category. Being ecologically friendly was really a, a different breed of car. That was things like a Prius and in some ways antithetical to the whole luxury space. A lot of people who bought ecologically friendly cars w- wouldn't be seen in a BMW, right? Elon Musk gave Tesla performance. It was a high performance car, but it made it eco-friendly, which are two things that didn't never went together before. And it would never have occurred to the old car industry to try to put those things together because they were supposedly opposites. And in so doing, he made the whole thing a status symbol. So I don't know how he did it, but Elon Musk transformed the automobile market and sort of speeded its transformation towards sustainability in record time. Uh, oh, and by the way, he became a multi-billionaire. Yeah, in the process. The yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, so I just, it's just a, a, a remarkable, a remarkable thing. Mm-hmm. So that that's one of the reasons it's one of, if not my favorite kind of purpose oriented story. Yeah. It's a good brand to look up to, right? Right. For all right. Those, not, for not, all the... not to mention SpaceX, right? Yeah. D- different, but still <laughs> very interesting thing. also. Right? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So before you go, cause I know you have to rush off here. We talked earlier at the very beginning about how you are on the podcast circuit. <laughs> You're probably repeated a lot of those questions over and over again. So what is one question that nobody has asked you that you can answer right now? Not to put you on the spot or anything. But has there been a question that no one has asked you that you've wanted them to ask you? I think. I feel like I've been asked every question. I know. Okay, I got one for you. I'm going to throw one out there right now just because I can. Okay. Okay, so what's it like working with Scott Goodson? What's it like working with Scott? Uh, You know, I kind of sometimes feel like Scott's like a brother, but he's like a brother I'd like to hit over the head about every 15 (laughs) minutes. And I'm guessing he would like to hit me over the head every like five minutes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I really, I I adore working with Scott. He's a real lateral thinker. So he will come at problems and issues just from out of left field, just from a way that nobody else would have thought of it, which I really enjoy and which which I really like. So I I think we complement each other. So from that aspect, I mean, as I said, he's the real lateral thinker. I'm usually the one who kind of is grounded and is more, probably more strategic in the the big picture strategy strategy sense and Scott will come at something particularly like creatively in a completely different way. Oh so, yeah. He gets that so, from my mom. Have you met my mom? I Sylvia? Have not. No, oh, okay. no. She's the artist in the family. So he definitely gets his artistic creativity from her. And oh, then wow. writing a book together. That must have been an interesting journey. Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. We have very different writing styles. So trying to get that 
kind of in line. I tend to want the chapter to tell a story and make exact sense. And he's also wanting it to have some magic in there. And I think you you need both, right? Yeah. So in, in that sense, I think we were, we we're actually pretty good, uh, good writing partners. So we, mm-hmm. we kind of developed a routine where, okay, I would outline it. He would take a pass through. Then I'd come back and take another pass through. And before you know it, we had a chapter that, that made sense. At least I, at least I hope it makes well, sense. Well, you know what? I was just going to say it obviously worked because the book is great. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And so speaking of which, if anyone is interested in getting the book, and I highly recommend everybody gets the book, where can they find it? Yeah, I mean, the, the usual suspects. I mean, uh, Amazon.com has obviously got it. You want to visit our uh, publisher, you can buy it there. It's called koganpage.com, K-O-G-A-N-P-A-G-E.com. If you want to see links to either of those, you can uh, visit our book's website, which is uh, simple. It's just activatebrandpurposeoneword.com. So uh, any of those ways. If people want to connect with you, are you on social media? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? I absolutely am. Uh, My Twitter handle is at chipwalkernyc. So it's Chip Walker, one word, NYC. It's my Twitter handle. I'm also, you know, I, I guess as a part of the uh, over 40 crowd, uh, I still answer email. So an easy way to get me if you want to is just simple chip at strawberryfrog, one word, dot com. Okay, great. And is Chip your real name? It is not. My actual real name is Ernest Braxton Walker. And I come from a long line of them. It's a wow. A, family name, which, you know, it's funny because it sounds uh, like I might be rather aristocratic, but I'm actually closer to being white trash than than (laughs) Are you? Okay. Well, Chip, Ernest, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and I really appreciate you you taking time out of your busy schedule and the circuit to come on here and share this information with us. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you again. And I look forward to meeting you next time in New York, which is hopefully going to be soon. Absolutely. I'll look forward to it too. All right. Bye. Take care. And there you have it. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. But most of all, I really hope you had some fun. This show is a work in progress, so please make sure to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to. And if you want to learn more about the Branding Badass, that's me, you can find me on social media under, you know it, Branding Badass. Thanks again, and until next time, Here's to all you badasses out there.